Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I am come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And our brother Dean will now bring us today's sermon, Jesus Takes Our Place. Good morning, church. It's the word of with our Heavenly Father first. Our Lord in heaven, this morning as we open your word, give us insight, give us wisdom, give us a heart to accept your salvation. In your holy name, amen. I would like also this morning to dedicate my remarks again to our friend Jim and to Clark. I remember Jim paraphrasing him a couple of years ago when I was going to talk about something in the book of Revelation. He seemed rather excited and said, oh, wonderful, that's what I want to hear about, the book of Revelation. That was Jim's favorite subject, I think. I have never forgotten that religious cartoon that I saw many, many years ago. I don't know how old I was, but I've not forgotten it. It's rather vivid in my mind right now. I could draw it for you up here if I had a board and a chalk. Um, it was a religious cartoon about, it was a big desk, huge desk. It looked like it took 18 trees to make that desk. It was huge. Behind it was an imposing figure, a man with a long white hair and a beard, had a stern face. Mm. And then in front of this huge desk was a little bitty man representing a sinner. An angel had him by the scruff of the neck holding him up there in front of this angry God. And you know, I've often wondered, um, did the artist have it right or was he making a point the other way? If he was trying to portray that as a judgment, he had it all wrong. But he was trying to get your attention to say, hey, sinner, this isn't the way it really is. I don't know which way it was, but I still remember that cartoon. Um, and this is the subject of this morning. Jesus was nowhere in sight in this picture. I think my sermon today started when I was a mere lad. I remember rummaging around with my sister in our father's closet. He was a man that gave Bible studies. He had all sorts of books. And I remember these vivid pictures of Daniel and Revelation. Scary things. Beasts and all sorts of manner of weird things. That uh, if you read Daniel and Revelation, you come across these rather quickly. And I, I couldn't understand it. Uh, my, my sister was smarter than I was. Maybe she did, but I, I don't know. Um, in any event, that tri triggered my imagination. What's this all about? And it had something to do with judgment. And so this morning we're going to explore that a bit. The scriptures from beginning to end are all about Jesus and his saving grace. You see, we will spend eternity somewhere, and we only have two choices. As we think of eternity with our Lord, when we have been there a billion years, it hasn't even begun, my friends. It just makes one's heart leap for joy to remember the Bible text, Paul writing in Corinthians, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. 
So back to our subject, how can we share our faith if we're afraid of the judgment portrayed in the Bible? If we've not figured out how the gospel and the judgment work together, are they in harmony? We will be very uncomfortable when Jesus comes if we don't understand this vital subject. Let's go back in the history to the 1800s to a story that's real because we're going to hear about it in the man's own words in a little moment here. A young boy had just been entering manhood, had an overwhelming guilty feeling about being lost and being sinful. This setting was in old London. The Holy Spirit seemed to place in his mind that he was not a saved person because he went on agonizing over this issue. He began an odyssey of searching, searching that was very sincere. His thinking was along this line. How could his sins be forgiven? How could I be saved, he said. How could he avoid the judgment of God? The following is taken from his own words. I was quite a young man when the Holy Spirit placed in my mind about how a man can be saved, that I needed a savior. I was afraid of the judgment. How could my sins be forgiven? How could I be saved? How could I avoid the judgment of God? While under concern of soul, I resolved that I would attend all the places of worship in the town where I lived. In order that I might find the way to salvation, he wrote, I was willing to do anything and be anything if God would only forgive my sin. And I did go to every place of worship, but for a long time I went in vain. I did not, however, blame the ministers. One man preached about the divine sovereignty of God. But what was that sublime truth to a poor sinner who wished to know what he must do to be saved? There was another nice preacher and always preached about the law. The law cannot save anyone. What was the use of plowing up ground that needed to be sowed, he wrote. Another man was a practical preacher. I heard what he said, but it was very much like the commanding officer teaching the maneuvers of war to a group of men without feet. What could I do? All these exhortations were lost on me. I knew the Bible said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But I did not know what it meant to believe on Christ. But what I wanted to know was how can I get out of my sins forgiven? And they never told me that. I heard another sermon on be not deceived, God is not mocked, which cut me up still worse. What I wanted to know was how can I get my sins forgiven? And they never told me that. I heard another sermon, be not deceived, God is not mocked, which cut me up still worse, but did not bring me into rest. I went another day, and the text that day was about the glories of the righteousness of God, but nothing for poor sinful me. I was like a dog under the table, not allowed to eat the crumbs of the children's food. I went to hear preachers again and again. I never went without prayers to God first. There was not a more attentive hearer in the place, for I panted and longed to understand how I might be saved. I sometimes think that I might still have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the good news of God in sending a snowstorm on that magical morning. 
I was planning to go to a certain church service in my quest for truth. Because of the severe snowstorm, I could not go any further to the church that I wanted to go to. So I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been, oh, about a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodist and how they sang so loud it made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how much my head ached. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed in as well. At last, a very thin-looking man, I think he was a shoemaker or something like that, he went up to the pulpit to preach. Now it is well that a preacher man knows what he's going to say. He should be instructed to know how to preach. But this man was really awful. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he, did not, he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. He did not pronounce the words rightly even, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. Anyone can look, even a child can look, he wrote. But then the text says, look unto me. I, said he, many of ye are looking to yourselves, but it ain't no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Christ says, just look unto me. The good preacher that day followed his text with this. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on a cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and I'm buried. But look unto me again and I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. O oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When this preacher had talked about ten minutes or so, he was, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew to me to be a visitor. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did not, I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit about my personal appearance. However, it was a good blow struck right home. He continued, and you'll always will be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't look and obey my text. But if you obey now, you will be saved this moment, and you will be in the arms of Jesus. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, and look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way to salvation. I can testify that the joy that day was indescribable. I could have leaped. I could have danced. 
There was no expression, however fanatical, which could have been out of keeping with the joy of my spirit at that hour. Many days of Christian experience have passed since then, but there has never been one which had the full exhilaration and the sparkling delight which that first day had. On one of the foundation stones of a school chapel erected in memory of this man reads this inscription, I looked to him, he looked to me, and we were one forever. This young man, who was to become one of the greatest preachers of righteousness the world has ever known, and has brought thousands to the foot of the cross, his name is Charles Spurgeon. He found his Savior in this text. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Spurgeon had lost all fear. He had no fear of a coming judgment. He realized that Jesus was his anchor, his friend, and his Savior. He preached his very newfound faith and truth for 40 years in that tabernacle in old London. Thousands upon thousands came to hear him from far and wide. Because they sensed that he really knew his Savior. The Bible is clear. There will be a final judgment. First, let us look at Jesus' words as we read in John 12:31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world be cast out. Here we have the great truth that your judgment and mind happens at the cross of Christ when we see the cross, when we visualize it, when we understand it. When you see the ugliness and yet the glory of the cross, you must make a decision. Confronted by the cross, you make a decision for life or for death. It is inescapable. Paul reminds us with a poignant question in Romans 2, 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? The Bible has some frightening words for us if we do not understand the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And add to this Isaiah's words when he met his God after he had been a prophet in Isaiah 6. Woe is me for I am undone. My lips are unclean. My righteousness is as filthy rags. Someone has said if our righteousness is as filthy rags, what about the bad stuff? I'm in real big trouble here. Is it fair to think of the possibility that if we accept the cross and Jesus' death for us, that we do not come into judgment? Is that possible? If that is true, that's very exciting news to me. I hope it is to you. Let us look at some text this morning to try to understand whether this is true. Some of these are words of Jesus and others from other parts of Scripture. We start with Romans 8.1. Let's look at the evidence. There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here's the first glimpse of hope, like the first blade of green grass in the spring. This says that our judgment is sealed ahead of the final judgment. The judgment only reveals what we've already done. 
Next, a startling text in Jesus' own words, John 5, 24. If you're asleep, wake up for this one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Did you hear it? Hath. I'll never forget hearing the great preacher HMS Richards saying, when he was talking about 1 John and all those verses that says you can have it now, it's present tense. He shouted out, it's present tense, my friend, it's present tense. Hath eternal life. Not future, but that is for sure. But we can have it now. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. This is one of those most precious texts in the Bible. You know, there's a story out of North Vietnam during the Vietnam War with some prisoners. And they were in awful shape. Some of you that have lived in the Far East can understand hot. We had one temperature out there, hot, hotter, and hottest. You had a choice of those three. Sometimes you didn't have a choice. It was number three. And they were in this prison camp, miserable food, dysentery, injuries that weren't taken care of, just awful situation. And the guards did finally allow them to have a Bible for like two hours a day. But what the guards would do, they would come over and put their heavy hand over most of the Bible, and they couldn't read it. Anything to just agitate them and, and just, just, just cause great chaos in their minds and their hearts. And um, they, would, they would whisper. They couldn't talk out loud to each other through these different cells, but they would whisper through the cracks in the walls and try to remember the songs, what hymns that they could remember. Perhaps what their mother had taught them at her knee. And they had one page of scriptures, I recall the story. And I'm thinking, you know, if that page only had these words on it, verily, verily, I say unto you. And by the way, when Jesus says it twice, verily, verily, he is saying to us, this is really important, friends. Listen up. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. That would have been enough to carry him through, don't you think? Shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This is one of the most precious texts in all the Bible. You will not come into condemnation. The Greek really says you will not come into judgment. So we find that condemnation equals judgment here. Very important for us. There's another translation, which I have a copy of his Bible translation. James Moffat was a theologian of yesteryear and translated the entire Bible. He has this verse this way, which make it, makes it even more pungent. Truly, truly, I tell you, he who listens to my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But there's more. He has already crossed from death across into life. He says it even better. These words of Jesus tell me that I can go beforehand to the judgment. We have more from John 3.16, of course. We know the verse, whosoever believes has eternal life. But often we overlook John 3.18. In our excitement about John 3.16, we overlook John 3.18 sometimes. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So you see, friends, it happens at the cross. When we see the cross, we go one way or the other. Because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Today we will 
look briefly at Daniel and Revelation on this theme. Daniel 7, Daniel takes, is taken off into vision in heaven. And it says, he beheld and the throne appeared, special throne set up in heaven. The Ancient of Days did sit upon it, whose garment was white as snow, hair of head like pure wool, throne like a fiery flame. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Who among us thinks that we can stand in our own righteousness, my friends? The court is in session. This is the judgment. I'm in big trouble. If my righteousness is filthy rags, as we've said, what about the really bad stuff I've done? Do I have a chance in this judgment? My righteousness is filthy rags. That's hard to take, but it's true. Something, nothing can stand at this time. Some believe that they might be just able to slip in under the wire and get their righteousness geared up to enough that you could stand before God. What a sad mistake, my friends. Judgment was set and the books were opened. Then the magnificent verse 13 I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, meaning God the Father, and they brought him before him. You know, in Matthew, when it talks about the second coming of Jesus and the clouds of, what are the clouds? The clouds are clouds of angels, the same ones that accompany Jesus when he comes in the clouds of heaven. So they go get Jesus and bring him before the Ancient of Days. So picture this. The judgment is set. The books are opened. Yahweh the Father God is on the throne. And the angels, who do they bring? They bring Jesus our Savior. That's what it's telling us here. You and I do not want to be there in our own strength. Remember Isaiah, his righteousness and my righteousness is filthy rags. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've not always glorified God as I should. A prophet of God sends those, says those words, my friend. What about me? So the angels go get Jesus. It says he was presented before the Father, and to him the kingdom was given, and the righteous redeemed are there. He stands before them. It's Jesus and all about Jesus forever. Jesus and Paul have both said, Jesus takes our place. Now the universe is looking on the scene. They know about Romans 3.26 where it tells that all that have sinned must die. So here we see salvation in all its beauty and purity. Jesus is just towards sin, and yet he justifies the sinner. What a truth. Remember what Jesus said, if you believe on me and my words, you will not come into judgment again we see he takes our place he says I will take your place when your name is called up in the judgment let's turn over to Revelation 5 and see what we find there that great chapter on the judgment this comes after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ from a cross with pierced hands and feet and a sword in his side and a crown of thorns to this majestic scene in heaven with Jesus on the throne and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a 
book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals and a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. In later chapters of Revelation, this book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Reading on, and no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, whether to look therein. John says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look therein. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, what did he see? He saw a lamb as it were slain. And he came and took the book out of the right hand and sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. My friends, what are those odors? They're the prayers of you and I. which are the prayers of the saints. The Bible says it clearly. Once Jesus sent his disciples out on a journey to teach the people, and they came back all excited, telling Jesus what they had done, miracles, the dead were raised. They were telling Jesus all these exciting things. What did Jesus tell them? He says, don't rejoice over that. He said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. The Christians, many Christians even in our own church are afraid to believe that their names are written there. How many times does our Bible have to tell us, rejoice, your name is written there. Many still are afraid of the judgment. Jesus said, believe on his name and follow me and my commandments and your name is written there in heaven's great book, the Lamb's book of life. Reading on, and they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, every corner of the earth, my friends. And this gospel is going there as we speak today, by leaps and bounds. No one, even John himself, was worthy to open the book. But stop weeping, John, because we come to verses the next few verses. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So why is Christ worthy? He's worthy, my friends, because he was slain for us. Christ, you did purchase for God in heaven people from every nation and tongue and people. Here we see again the beautiful truth that Jesus takes our place. So in summary, what have we found this morning? To everyone, there comes these questions. How can our sins be forgiven forever? How can I escape the judgment of God? And how can I be saved? As Charles Spurgeon asked so long ago, and all Christians throughout the centuries and the millennium since Jesus was here. This gets our attention real fast because to Scripture like these, Solomon told us, For God shall bring everything into judgment, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes 12.4 Then Paul pens these words, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17, 31. 
So if I'm not careful, my heart goes a little faster and my knees knock and I get nervous. We quickly learn, though, that I can choose plan A or plan B. Plan A is where before the second coming of Jesus, I acknowledge my righteousness is filthy rags. And I ask the Lord, if my righteousness is filthy rags, what are my really bad sins like, Lord? I'm in real trouble. Then we remember that the scripture tells us that we have an advocate. And this lawyer is more than a lawyer. He takes our place. Takes our place. And he did that on the cross. So I can go free. I can go free. I trade all my sins for the righteousness of Jesus who will safely see me through to that heavenly country. Why would I not fall down and worship him even today? Or if you don't like that plan, my friends, you can have plan B. Plan B is at the end of the millennium, according to Revelation. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And the books were opened. Here's another book. And another book was opened. And it was a book of life. And there's also a book of death, according to Revelation. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. This is the very judgment we do not to be in, my friends, that ground the great white throne. Here, there they will stand in their pathetic own righteousness, those who choose that way. So you see, this is called God's strange act. The sinners he came to save, he now is forced to destroy because they have chosen sin. And they have chosen his arch enemy, Lucifer. Let us review these magnificent scriptures one more time. Daniel 7. And Daniel beheld a judgment seen in heaven. The Ancient of Days did sit, and a fiery stream came forth from him. His garment was as white as snow. Daniel says, I behold in the night vision, behold, one like the Son of Man came. So Jesus came according to the scripture with clouds of angels. If the poor sinner has known Jesus and accepted him as Savior, all fear is gone. He is safe in the arms of Jesus. As Charles Spurgeon learned so long ago, you can have peace as long as you look and you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Then we remember from Revelation 5, what a scene of the cross. Pierced hands, pierced feet, sword in the side, and a crown of thorns on the creator of the universe. There he sings. There he hangs with his blood dripping down to the earth he created. And John in vision works, weeps uncontrollably because no one can open the book. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb and he took the book of life and did open it. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. By thy blood. Out of, every, out of every tongue and people and nation. And Paul tells us, again, we review. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life 
And I will never forget, as long as I live, hearing HMS Richards sing out that half present tense right now. I want to share with you in closing one of my favorite authors. If you wonder, my friends, are you saved? Do you ever wonder that like I do? In depths of discouragement at times. Well, listen to these words. Who has the heart? With whom are your thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ's, our thoughts are with him. Our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have and are is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, and do his will, and please him in all things. And we close with words from Jesus this morning. In case you've missed it, here they are again. Truly, truly I tell you, he who listens to my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will incur no sentence of judgment. He has already crossed from death across to life. John 5, 24. Eternal Father, we look forward to that day. May it come soon so we can rejoin our loved ones who have passed on May we look forward so much as we walk through the eternal gates of the new Jerusalem that we will too cast our crowns at your feet and praise you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.